Hello and welcome to the podcast on how to communicate clearly during organizational change by Elizabeth Johnson. This is a Harvard Business Review article, uh, one of the readings from the Change Leadership Module, Module 3. Um, this should be the first reading if you're reading them in order, which I highly encourage you to do. So make sure you've read each article and then listen to the podcast. Uh, you don't want to jump ahead. You don't want any spoilers, right? So make sure you've already read the article and then uh, I'm going to hit some highlights here uh, in this podcast. So because it's an HBR article, and I assume maybe you've read some of these before, uh, Harvard Business Review articles are typically written for practitioners. They're not uh, academic articles typically, so rarely will they be research uh, empirical articles. They may cite some research inside them, but uh, they're written for practitioners, for managers in organizations, and that's certainly the case with this article. So it's a pretty short read, and um, as is the case with most of these HBR articles, they're kind of how-to guides, so you know it'll give you the top three reasons or eight steps in order to, et cetera, et cetera. So this one's no exception. The article opens up with a little story, a vignette about um, a former colleague like to remind re leaders of their impact by telling them, there are children you've never met who will know your name. The point was simple. Their followers were also moms and dads who were going home and talking about their day in front of their children, and you, their leader, had a starring role in that story. As leaders, we are far more visible than we realize, and we are sending signals to followers all the time, even when we don't realize it. So the reason I, I read that narrative at the beginning, one thing you'll, you'll notice quickly in this article is this article supports kind of the leader mythos. And I think it's the third article maybe that, we, that you'll, you're going to read in this series that kind of um, maybe pokes some holes in that leader mythos. But the leader mythos is this idea that you know, we in in leadership studies, in research on leadership, the way we teach leadership in business schools, a lot of times there's a lot of mystique and um, you know um, uh, myth given to leaders, like they're these great powerful beings, and that they they're the instigators of change. You know, that leaders really make the world go round, and that without great leaders, nothing would get done. And so there's a lot of um, positive mythology that goes on around leaders but the reason it's mythology is the research behind some of that is is um, dubious sometimes or limited in terms of some of the research and that's certainly the case when you talk about change leadership and the role of leaders so this article is going to take the position of, of leaders being the change agents that's also going to be the case in the article read by Cotter which is the um, most cited most read article on leadership and um, but then, like I said, another piece you'll read by By and colleagues uh, argues that maybe maybe that's not the case. So anyway, you'll get a chance to see some of that as we go through. But I wanted to introduce that to you here in the first section. So as I mentioned, uh, this article is written in the format of you know three steps, three needs. In this case, uh, three potential signals that uh, leaders in organizations that are going through change should be sending to their their organizations, but sometimes we, we struggle with that. And so it says, you know, uh, sending the right signals to followers is important at any time, but especially during change. You know, many authors argue that communication is maybe the cornerstone of change management. The last article you'll read um, by, by Betty uh, really takes that stance. So why then is it hard for leaders to send clear, effective signals to followers? And, and the article goes on to list three particular types of signals that leaders tend to struggle with during change. Uh, the first one is um, leaders tend to tell their organizations 
uh, struggle in telling them what they want to tell them. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, uh, one of the reasons is because leaders often express what they want in terms of outcomes, not in terms of tasks. So, you know, I think about this with my own kids at home, right? A lot of times, um, instead of telling them, you know, the nature of how I want our household to run or what I want it to be, I give them tasks, right? Unload the dishwasher, feed the dog, you know, hang up your clothes. And those are task lists. And the nice thing about that for me is it's very specific. It makes me feel like we're achieving things. Things are getting done. But it's not really communicating to my family uh, the reasons, the why, or the bigger picture of what it is we're trying to accomplish. All they're seeing are these bits and pieces, these specific idiosyncratic tasks. And that's a lot of times how leaders communicate change to followers and managers, right? They give them task lists instead of outcomes. If you give them the outcomes, you're giving them the vision. And uh, we'll talk about that in the Cotter piece and in other ones, but um, vision is closely tied to culture. I give this story sometimes that, you know, when I was at a former institution of higher ed, it was a very customer-centric, very, very, very customer-centric uh, institution. And so I gave the example to my undergraduates at that school. I would say, you know, if it was Friday at 5 o'clock and I'm in the parking lot and I run into one of your parents and they want to speak to me, what am I going to do? And they would all say, well, you're going to take them to your office and talk to them. And I say, why? And they say, well, you have to. And I said, well, you know, I've looked in the faculty handbook. It doesn't say anything in there about having to meet with parents at 5 o'clock on Fridays. But the culture of, my, of that organization was so strong that in ambiguous situations, novel situations, such as the one I described on a Friday, it really wasn't ambiguous at all for me. I knew exactly what the company would want me to do. And that's because I understood the overarching culture and the overarching vision and so it's the same thing with change management. If you're trying to enact change, what you want is for people to understand the vision, right? You want them to understand where you're going and why you're going to try to get there. And then hopefully when they run into situations that they haven't been trained on, they'll know what to do. They'll know the actions to take. You don't have to give them a task list because they know what tasks to do, right, based on the vision. So oftentimes that's the case, um, that we struggle to give vision. We tend to give tasks. Um, Let's see, signal number, oh, well, let me go on. So, again, with signal number one, trying to tell followers what you want them to know, making it vision, outcomes, and not task, um, left to their own devices, leadership teams typically shortchange the questions of what they want to change to achieve and why. Um, in particular, there's four questions that these teams, these, these change agents, tend to skate through too quickly. You know, why do we need change? Why do we need it now? What's the full extent of the change we need? If we figure out these first two, that is, why do we need change and what's the extent of it, what should improve as a result? You know, how we measure the improvements we've been targeting. And then lastly, how does this new strategy link to previous strategies? Another thing you hear a lot of organizations complain about, or at least the membership in organizations, is you know, it's the, it's the flavor of the week. So there's changes all the time. And leadership and the um, change agents don't do a very good job of explaining um, how these changes link to some overarching vision or previous changes. So it just seems like it's changed for the sake of change. And, and people get pretty um, resistant uh, to those types of initiatives. Signal number two um, that we, we struggle with, personally living the change you've asked for. This is kind of the walk the walk mantra. Uh, Nadler and Tushman had a 1990 piece where they talk about how change needs to become institutionalized through mundane behaviors. 
Cotter, I think, also talks about mundane behaviors in that if you really want to solidify change, you have to you have to bake it into the DNA so that people every day are acting the change without even really thinking about it, right? Um, a good example that I like to give here, um, you know, you've got you've got uh, three buckets of resources. Brad Smith, the CEO of Intuit, would say, you know, there's three buckets of resources. There's there's money, people, and time. Two of those buckets you can always get more of. I'll say that again. Two of those buckets you can always get more of, right? So people and money, there's always the potential to gain more. You can't gain more time, neither in business nor in your personal life. So time really is your most precious resource, right? And so in order to institutionalize change, to really put value behind the change behaviors you want to see coming from your organization, leaders have to walk the walk. They have to do the change in the mundane of every day, um, in the little things, right? Um, and you have to put your time behind it because if you put your time behind it, um, there's a, a biblical uh, uh, there's a biblical verse. I, I'll get it wrong, but you know uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, or something along those lines, right? So, so we know something's important to you based on what you value and what you what, where where you put your emphasis, and it's it's with time, right? So where you put your time tells us a lot about what you care about, and and followers are watching leaders to see where that time is placed. So why is it hard to get right? Well, two reasons. One, because carving out time for anything is difficult, um, especially when you have the immediacy of, um, of uh, you know, the, the daily crisis, right? So you've got things that are due every day, and you're obviously going to gravitate toward checking those off your to-do list before you work on a change initiative which doesn't have a due date of tomorrow. I have the same issue in my day-to-day -day life, and I'm sure you do in your organizations, right? So I've got things that I'm evaluated on but I'm not evaluated on a daily, you know, it might be an annual evaluation. But I have other things that if they don't get done today, I'm going to get immediate negative feedback. So I tend to focus on the things that get the immediate feedback rather than looking at the long term. And that's, a, that's, a, that's the human condition, right? So that's one of the reasons we struggle with it. Uh, another is that just managing yourself day in and day out is hard, right? Um, I'm a strong believer that really, to be effective, every person on the planet probably needs a coach of some level. You need somebody to look at you and give you feedback. This is how you're doing today. This is what you're not doing well. This is where you need to improve. These are some goals you need to think about. Because self-management is really, really hard. Um, for lots of reasons, and I won't go into them all in this podcast. But but it's, it's really difficult. So, um, so self-management, you know, doing the mundane... Uh, that that's really difficult. Signal three we struggle with resourcing and measuring the change you've asked for. Uh, it means allocating the right people, um, the right amount of capital, people with the right amount of experience. Um, you know you've got to make sure that the change effort is supported early on if it's going to have a chance. It also means making changes to what you measure and making the changes early on. Cotter talks about um, you know making sure planning for small wins and he says it's not enough to hope for small wins you've got to plan for it one of the ways you plan for it is you you put measurement in place to measure for those things that you want to see happen in the short term right so you know if you've got an initiative and you want to see certain things happen you've got to put in place measurements to assess those things early on otherwise you won't have the data to support that you've made in progress right people are going to want to say hey how are we doing are we making any progress 
And if you haven't put anything in place, that's going to be hard to do. Uh, again, why is it hard? Um, rarely are mundane, instrumental, and transactional behaviors like resourcing and measurement um, given a lot of time, e either in the workplace or in articles like this. They just don't talk about that a lot. It's, it's kind of boring stuff. It's the opposite of the mythos of leaders, the exciting thing of being a leader. Uh, and of course, making changes to resources and metric takes time. We've already talked about the issues there. So this is just a few of the, the primary points from this piece. Um, like I said, make sure you've read over it and, uh, and, and give it a look. It's a pretty good article. I think you'll find some value in it.